what an awesome day it is today. I feel so happy that I get to be the one to give to you great news. For those of you who were singing just a moment ago as Evan was leading us and he's like, listen, if this is the cry of your heart, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have great news for you. In your following of Jesus, you don't have to always understand everything that God is doing. Isn't that good news? Uh, Sometimes that's frustrating news because for some of us, sometimes we're traveling through these seasons of our life and we're thinking to ourselves, I want to understand everything that there is to understand. And, And the reality is when it comes down to things that we don't get about God, it comes down to two kind of categories. One category is stuff we're never going to understand about God, this side of glory. And the other side of the category is things that God wants for us to understand, and we just haven't fully wrapped our brain around it. We're still comprehending it. We're still thinking about it. We're still stewing over it. We're still trying to get there, but we haven't gotten there yet. And the good news is when you are in that season of life, you can still sing out at the top of your lungs, I have decided to follow Jesus. Uh, The scripture that we're looking at this morning tells that exact story. And now to get us ready to look at that scripture, I want us to do a little exercise together. I don't mean like this and jump. I mean like, uh, here's what I'd like for us to do to prepare. Think about all the mistakes the disciples made in the New Testament. It's so long, the list. You can think like in every gospel, almost every page, Every page the disciples are making some kind of misstep, some kind of misunderstanding, saying this wrong, doing this wrong. And, and, and although we learn from that, oftentimes we're comforted by that, right? Because uh, it gives us permission to not be perfect. We want to follow Jesus and follow Jesus well. But sometimes there's mistakes that are made along the way. I wonder which ones come to your mind. The reason that I ask you that is because this section of scripture, this text, starts with the disciples making a mistake. And an important one, I might add. Look with me in Mark chapter 8. That's where we're going to be this morning. Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bible, turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, my goodness, let us give you one. We would love to invest the word of God into your life. Uh, Many of us carry the Bible on our phone. Many of us like the printed copy, but if you need a copy of God's word, we would love to give you a copy. Uh, Mark chapter eight this morning. We're gonna pick up in uh, verse 14. Here's the mistake. One of the disciples forgot to bring the food. Now that's a bad mistake. Look at verse 14. It says, now they had forgotten to bring the bread. We're not talking about money. They're talking about food. They're in a boat. They're with Jesus. They have no idea when they're going to eat next because Jesus is always doing all of these incredibly long ministries, right? And the scripture says that now they forgot to bring the bread. I wonder which one forgot. If you were in this boat, wouldn't you want to know whose job was this? Whose job was it to bring the bread? Now, verse 14, now they had forgotten to bring the bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. So they were running out of food. Here's what you're about to see. We're gonna read through this whole scripture together. Here's what you're about to see. You're about to see human beings get frazzled and upset about important 
physical things. I'm not saying that food isn't important. It isn't important. Nourishment is important. But what you're going to see is a group of humans get upset about something physical. Jesus is going to use that to say something important spiritual, and the disciples aren't going to get it. And isn't that the story of our lives? We have something important going on physical. Jesus uses that to teach us something spiritual. And then sometimes we're standing there going, now what? What is God trying to teach me? We're going to see this play out. It's this beautiful, it's this beautiful laying out of God's faithfulness and understanding of human beings when we don't fully understand what it is that Jesus is saying to us. So now they've forgotten to bring the bread. And they're in the boat. They only have one loaf with them in the boat. And Jesus uses that moment in verse 15 as a chance to capitalize and teach them something important. And he cautioned them saying, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, if you're going, I have no idea what this means. Leaven is like yeast. It's an ingredient that they were using to, to make the bread. And so Jesus is looking at the bread. The disciples are looking at the bread. Everybody's looking at the bread like, this is going to have to last us all day. I mean, how is this going to work out? And Jesus looks at it and he uses it as a teaching opportunity. And he calls out one of the ingredients in the bread and he says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. Watch out for the leaven of Herod. He says, Verse 16, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. So they didn't get it. <laughs> they didn't understand what was going on. They're, part one, man, we've got no bread. Part two, Jesus says this important spiritual point. Part three, they're still stuck on the fact they have no bread. Right? Physical problem, Jesus teaches a spiritual point. They're still stuck in the physical problem. So they, they're still talking with each other about the fact that they have no bread. And Jesus, verse 17, Jesus is aware of this and he says to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? You may be saying, remember what? Jesus goes on, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000 people, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? So here, here's the rhythm of this story. Here's the way that this text unfolds. They discover they have what they perceive to be a problem, a physical problem. Jesus says something to them spiritually. They are still concerned with what got their attention earlier. And Jesus says to them, do you not understand? You can trust me with this. Right, Because the physical issue and the spiritual teaching, we may, we may separate those on paper, but they all go back together. And Jesus says, this isn't an issue of you not having bread. This is an issue of trust. Do you not remember that I fed 5,000 people and there were leftovers? Do you not remember that I fed 4,000? thousand people and there were leftovers. The fact that there's one loaf of bread in this boat for us 
is plenty. And the fact that you are wrapped around the axle on this tells me that you are still not understanding some key things about who I am. Now, what did Jesus say when he pointed to that bread? And the disciples were all looking at this bread like it's the last piece of bread on earth. You know how you do that when you're hungry? You know how, like when the appetizer comes out, if you order an appetizer and you're hungry and everybody starts reaching and you're like, well, you need to slow down a little bit because, you know, like, and you start thinking in your brain, like, am I going to have to fight my family members over this last chip? So they're all staring at this loaf of bread, probably, and I'm just imagining this stuff, you guys. The text doesn't say it. Not in the English, not in the Greek, okay? It's not there. But I'm just thinking, they're in the boat going, how much of that am I going to get to have? And they're thinking about this very real problem of not having enough groceries. And Jesus tells them this really important spiritual point. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. And beware of the leaven of Herod. And they don't, it doesn't even compute. They just move right on. And I don't want for that to happen to us today. I want for it to compute. And and so if you have your notes, you see this morning that we're going to talk about that this morning. A part of what we're doing in today's message is to understand what is the leaven of the Pharisees. What is the leaven of Herod? What is the identity of what that is that Jesus is talking about? What are some characteristics of that? How does that apply to my own life? And then we'll look at how do we watch out for it? How do we beware for it? But, but to get to the understanding of when Jesus says, when they're all looking at that piece of bread and they're looking at that loaf, and Jesus says, beware of the leaven of Pharisees. What does that even mean? And you can, and I would encourage this, if you're a person who loves studying the word of God uh, and you love to dive deep into the Bible, I would encourage you to go and do a study on the leaven of the Pharisees and just go look at what the, what the, what the scholars teach about this. But for, for brevity's sake, right, just so that we can get to the point of the matter this morning, I'm going to supply the answer. Uh, Jesus is talking about the spiritual arrogance and pride of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, if you go through and do all of your study on this, you're gonna come, I believe, to the same conclusion. What Jesus is talking about is the spiritual arrogance and the spiritual pride of the Pharisees and of Herod. And the reason that we know that is because he just had this interaction with these Pharisees and that is what they were struggling with. I mean, they were coming into the presence of Jesus, making demands, saying, Jesus, you have to do this. You must do this. They were coming into the presence of Jesus to make demands, to test him, to challenge him, to provoke him. And they they were filled with this arrogance that they were righteous in and of themselves and that they didn't need Jesus in their town and they didn't need the work of Jesus in their life and they didn't need the grace of Jesus in their life. They didn't need the mercy of Jesus in their life. They were, they believed enough in and of themselves. And when Jesus came to their town, they decided to challenge him, to check him, to provoke him. And that's spiritual arrogance and pride. 
Now this morning, if you want to know a little bit more about what does spiritual arrogance look like, what I want to do is take you to a parable where Jesus gives uh, like a picture of what that looks like. And if you're making notes this morning, write down Luke chapter 18. I'm going to read this full parable to you because it's not that long. Uh, It's very easy for us to look at together. But uh, in Luke chapter 18, I'm going to read verses 9 through 14. If you're making notes, you want to go back and look at this later, I encourage you to do it. Uh, Jesus is telling a story about what does uh, spiritual arrogance and pride look like. Here's what he says. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated other people with contempt. So here's the story that Jesus told. Excuse me. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, standing off by himself, this is what his prayer looked like. God, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Thank you that I'm not like extortioners. Thank you that I'm not unjust. Thank you that I'm not an adulterer. Thank you that I'm not even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so here's what I want to say to you this morning before we go back over to Mark chapter 8 and we continue walking through Jesus talking to the disciples about the leaven of Pharisees and the leaven of Herod because we're identified it so far. We haven't gained characteristics yet. But before we do that, here's what I want you to see about spiritual arrogance and pride. It's hard to catch. For instance, if we didn't know the context of Jesus telling that story in a very clear way so as to show us that the Pharisee is not the type of prayer that we want to be praying, we might not even catch it. I mean, I could get up this morning and give a sermon about the good characteristics of that Pharisee in that parable that I just told you. First of all, he went to temple. That's awesome, right? Isn't that a good thing? Yeah, he went to temple. He was at temple. And he was at temple and he was moved to pray. So we could give a whole sermon about people's prayer lives and about how when you're in the house of God, you need to allow yourself to be moved to prayer. He went to the temple. He he was moved to prayer. He thanked God for what God had done for him in his life. All these things are positives. Like we could line up this Pharisee and say, look at how awesome he is. He went to temple. He spent time praying. He was thanking God for everything that God had done for his life and that he had elevated this this Pharisee in a place that, that other people were not elevated. And this man was a man of God because he lived it. He didn't just say it when he was at the temple, but he fasted twice a week. He gave tithes and offerings. I mean, this guy is a stand-up follower of God. But he was arrogant. Because when he went to pray, he compared himself to others. He said, Lord, thank you so much that I'm not like that person. 
And I think that what Jesus is trying to teach us through that parable is that spiritual arrogance can be hard to identify in ourselves. I'm going to temple. I have a vibrant prayer life. I'm giving God thanks for everything in my life. I'm fasting. I'm tithing. I'm good to go. The problem is we think we're awesome because of those things. We think we're better than because of those things. And Jesus says, no, it was the tax collector who couldn't even look up but just beat his chest and said, oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is the lifestyle that Jesus says we need to pursue. So the identity then of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod is spiritual arrogance and pride. And what do we know about this? What do we know about the spiritual arrogance and pride? Well, Jesus used the phrase leaven And I want to call our attention to that reality as we seek to understand a little bit about the characteristics or the quality of spiritual arrogance. And so if you're making notes, I want to give you this phrase. I think it's important for us to comprehend, and I'll explain why in a few moments. But uh, what do we know about these characteristics? Spiritual arrogance is that a little bit of it can really impact a lot quickly. Because Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And you may not know that word very often, but those of you who cook, who bake, you understand when we talk about yeast, right? Yeast, a little bit of it can affect everything quickly. Uh, I got a pizza maker three weeks ago. I'm so excited about that. I have to tell you, because now I can make my own. I can eat more pizza. Uh, but, but let me tell you something that happened in my family the other day when we got this pizza maker. My wife had the audacity. Now be careful here. She's in the room right now. Be careful. I feel it just like you feel it, that tension. I feel it. She had the audacity to say to me the other day, Zach, I was at Aldi's. And they have pizza dough there. I said, well, let me just help you to understand. We don't make pizza. We don't buy pizza dough in our house. We make our pizza dough. Okay, like this is a scratch kitchen. Get with it. I haven't made any yet, but. (laughs) I made one batch. It's not true. I made one batch. We went to the store. We got the stuff. There's not a lot of ingredients in pizza dough. And, And so we got all this flour, all this water, and I have to tell, I like to cook. I never bake, so I don't understand yeast type of stuff at all. I was like, you have to have yeast. So I went to the store. I didn't know where to find it in the grocery store. I had to ask somebody for it. They're like, it's over there in the baking section and like this derogatory way of saying it. I'm like, okay, thank you very much. I don't need that tone of voice. But so anyway, I went and find the yeast. There's a couple of kinds. I don't know what to get. So I'm sitting there with Siri and Google and trying to figure all of this out. Anyway, I figure it out. I get to the house. I've got all the flour. I've got all the water. And then it says, put in a teaspoon of yeast. I'm like, a teaspoon? That doesn't seem like very much. And in my brain, I thought, Zach, you need to put a little more. And I thought to myself, no, Zach, for once in your life, listen to the directions. And I'm glad I did. 
because I put a little teaspoon into all this whole bowl of dough and it was just like (laughs) a little bit affects a lot quickly, right? And that is what Jesus was saying to the disciples. They're all staring at this loaf of bread and he's saying, hey, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees And they all would have understood because just a little can get in and affect everything and affect it quickly. What are the characteristics of spiritual arrogance? That it only takes a little bit in your life to damage a lot of things. It only takes a little bit in a congregation and it can damage a lot of things. And it can happen so fast. I gotta tell you, when I was making that dough, I put the yeast in, I did it all together, I put it in the bowl, I, uh, I covered it, I walked away, I came back an hour later and that thing was like almost about to come out of the bowl. It had, it had so quickly infected everything that was in the bowl. And that is true of spiritual arrogance. So what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about spiritual pride and he's talking about spiritual arrogance. And what are the characteristics? A little bit spreads a lot quickly. That's what we want to understand about spiritual arrogance. Now the application is what I want for us to think a little bit about this morning. Because I think it's good for us to understand what Jesus is talking about when he says the leaven of Pharisees. I think it's good for us to understand a little bit about the key characteristics of spiritual arrogance. But I also think it's important for you to be equipped with and walk out of here with the knowledge of how that matters in your life. Because if you can understand the definition, that's one thing, but if you can understand how this matters in your life, that's a whole nother thing. So I wanna give to you this morning three points of application before we talk about how to watch out and how to beware. I want for us to understand how this teaching intersects our life. Whether you're a young person in this room this morning and you're trying to figure out life at school or what am I going to do after school or what I think about my friends or who I want my friends to be or who I'm going to date or what I'm going to value and what I'm going to pursue or, or you're not, no longer young and you're looking at the, um, the golden years. You're trying to think through, how do I process what Jesus said in my season of life? Uh, The first thing that I want you to understand is, is that spiritual arrogance is something that Christians will always struggle with and be tempted with. Now, that may not hit you as good news, and I know that you like to come here and be encouraged, and it's hard for you to hear me say this morning that uh, you just need to accept that this is going to be something that you're going to have to fight all the way through your life or until Jesus comes and takes us home. Here's why. Because God has been so good to us in Christ Jesus. He has poured the riches of heaven into our lives. He has given us standing. He has given us forgiveness. He has redeemed us. Uh, He is molding us. He is sanctifying us. He has given us hope. He has given us courage. He has given us joy. He has given us a direction. He has given us the power of the Holy Spirit. He has given us peace with God. He has poured his riches into our life. We truly have an abundance abundance of overflowing of riches in Christ Jesus. And it's easy for us to look out and to find someone who doesn't have that because they're not yet in Christ. They haven't yet turned to follow Jesus and say, whew, I'll tell you what, 
I am glad I'm not like that person anymore. Hmm. Well, they are just wrecking their life, aren't they? Oh, Lord, thank you, Lord, that I am not like that person anymore. Thank you that, uh, gosh, thank you that I don't do that on Friday night anymore. Thank you, Lord, that I don't treat my family like that. And thank you, Lord, that those aren't the values that I live with. Thank you, God, that I just, uh, boy, I'm just thankful, God, that I, that I'm not like that person over there. Hmm. So sad, so sad. If you find yourself praying those prayers, you need to pause and go back and read Luke 18 and ask yourself, if that doesn't feel an awful lot like the Pharisee's prayer, Lord, thank you that I'm not like those people. And here's the thing. It's so easy for us to slip into that because we've been so richly blessed by God. We truly have a reason to say, thank you, God. We truly have a reason to say, I am so happy that this is where I am at in my life because God has poured the riches of heaven into my life. But when we compare our life to other people, we have crossed the boundary into spiritual arrogance and pride. You see, to the extent that we see someone who doesn't have the riches of heaven and we don't go to them and say, why don't you come live in the kingdom of God with me? Why don't you become a brother or sister in Christ with me? Why don't you allow me to take you on this journey and find the one who quenches the spiritual thirst? When we are compelled to do that, we are responding to our riches appropriately. But when we look at someone who doesn't have Christ and go, I am so glad that I'm not like that person, we are praying the prayer of the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. I'm not saying don't be thankful for what God has done in your life. We should. And I'm not saying don't be thankful when you look back on your life and you see how far God has brought you. I'm not saying not to erupt in thanksgiving and worship. We should. But when we compare where we are to other people's lives, and then think condescendingly of them because they're not where we are, that's spiritual arrogance. So one of the reasons that I think it's important for us to think about this, this first point of application, is simply because this is something that we will forever be tempted with because God is a good God and God is an abundant God. And in Christ Jesus, we have been given the kingdom. And we have a tendency to compare our life to others. And so it's important for us to think about spiritual arrogance. Another reason that it's important for us to think about this is because spiritual arrogance in the existence of God's people is like the fast route to the discipline of God. Now, when you were growing up, you had your parent, you had your mom, your dad, or your aunt or uncle, whoever raised you. Don't you remember there was like that one thing that if I do that, whoo, if I do this one thing, I am pushing the buttons of my parents. I don't know what it was for you. I still remember what it was for my family. I'm not telling you what it is. My mom's going to be watching this. 
But do you remember that? Spiritual arrogance is something that is like puts us on the fast route to the discipline of God. There's scripture in the Old Testament. There's scripture in the New Testament. And listen, hear me. The discipline of God is not a bad thing. It brings us back into fellowship with God. So I don't want to like say this morning that, that we should uh, be sad about the discipline of God. We should hunger for God to take his disciplinary hands and put them on us and bring us back to where he wants for us to be. But I would say that I would much rather be living in positive fellowship with God than under the discipline of God Almighty. And I want to share with you a couple of scriptures. If you're making notes, you can write these down and study them later. But a couple of scriptures that talk about uh, the damage of spiritual arrogance or spiritual pride. Uh, the first is in Proverbs chapter 11, verse two. It says that when pride comes, disgrace is following it. So when we live our lives filled with pride, disgrace will be coming right behind. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, pride goes before destruction. Some of you uh, who are uh, Bible memory uh, students remember probably memorizing the scripture in the King James, pride goeth before the fall. Do you remember uh, that scripture verse, Proverbs 16? It's also in the New Testament, uh, in the book of James. Uh, James says, listen to this, God opposes the proud. Now think about, think about what that means. God actively stands against the proud, but gives his grace to the humble. So one of the reasons this, this is important is because we're faced with this temptation to live in spiritual arrogance because of God's goodness in our life. But another reason is because it's the fast route to God's discipline. But another reason that this is important uh, is just very simple and practical. Um, People don't like to be around arrogant and prideful people. And if you have a heart to minister to people, if you have a heart to bless people, if you have a heart to live the type of life to where, to where you want somebody to look at you and go, man, I want to be around that person because they love Jesus and they love people. And, and I, want to, I want to be a lighthouse for people. If that's, if that's your heart, you need to write down in the back of your mind that spiritual arrogance crucifies the desire for people to be around you. I mean, can you imagine spending your life around the, the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, where he was running around praying, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like that person, and I'm glad I'm not like that person. Uh, can you just imagine being around that person? Like eventually your number's going to come up, and, and that Pharisee's going to be praying about you, but under the good sense. Well, I just can't imagine spending my life around somebody who would pray this prayer. Lord, I'm so glad that I'm not like Zach. Man, thank you, Lord, for sparing me from the life that Zach leads. Oh, my goodness, Lord, thank you that I'm not like him. Like, I like for people to pray about me, but not like that. <laughs> you don't want to be around those type of people. And if you have a heart to reach people with the gospel and to be a lighthouse and to be, and to be a game changer in people's lives, spiritual arrogance repels people away from you and causes people to turn you off and no longer listen to you. You don't want that. 
Uh, Now, uh, what I'd like to do before we answer that question, how do we watch out? I just want to point out two things to you about Jesus and spiritual arrogance and what he has to say. One is Jesus knew that the disciples were struggling with understanding this. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, man, this feels important, but I don't really think I'm catching most of it. You're, you're in good company. The disciples struggled with the same thing. They were looking at this bread and Jesus said, beware of the leaven. And they didn't understand it. They were still talking about the bread. And then Jesus pauses and he's like, do you understand what we're talking about here? Are you still not comprehending what's going on? And they're kind of like looking at Jesus going, not really. No, no. Not really, and he, and he has to coach them on why he can trust them. And, and Jesus is so cognizant and understanding that sometimes God's people don't get it the first time around that he actually does a miracle to express this process of disciples struggling to understand. Look with me, if you would, back into the scripture. I want you to notice that when you go, uh, when you continue reading, start in verse 22, like right after what we just studied, uh, it says they came to Bethesda and some of the people brought to him a blind man and they begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and he led them out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him and he said, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly and he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. Now, if you just open your Bible and just read that verse, you might think to yourself, this is kind of strange. How do I make sense of what I just read? First of all, what's up with spitting in his eyes? Did you catch that? But more importantly or more interestingly, I guess I should say, is the part where he kind of healed the guy and kind of didn't. Like he, he, he did something to this blind man's eyes and then he said, do you see? And he's like, kinda. I see people, but they don't seem right. And it's almost like Jesus half healed this guy. He kind of had his sight and then he goes back and he finishes the process and then he can see again. Is it that Jesus doesn't have the power to heal this person properly on the first time around? Absolutely not. This is a miracle that expresses and illuminates what's true in so many disciples. That Jesus does a work and then he says, do you understand? Do you comprehend? Do you feel the full effect of me working in your life? And honestly, the answer sometimes is kinda. And it's the same for the disciples in the boat. They're worried about this bread and Jesus gives them this huge spiritual point. And he's like, do you understand this? And their response is kinda. He heals the person's vision. Can you see? Kinda. I see people, but it doesn't look right yet. And Jesus finishes the process because he's faithful to finish the process. You see what I'm saying? In your life, there are times that Jesus is at work in your life. And if you were to be asked the same questions that Jesus asked the disciples, do you understand? Do you have eyes that can see? Do you have ears that can process? Your answer is, kinda, 
but I don't see it all in this moment. And here's what I want to say to you. Jesus understands that. So whether it's something that you're studying in the Bible or something that you're going through in life, when you hear that question, do you perceive what God is doing in your life? Often the answer is kind of. And that's okay if that's where you're at because God is faithful and will continue the process of opening your eyes and allowing you to see what he's doing in your life. Now I want to close our time by talking about watching out and being where. And I want to close this morning just by making this point that in this text, Jesus doesn't say to the disciples, hey, be able to define spiritual arrogance. He doesn't say to the disciples, hey, be able to to give me the characteristics of the leaven of the Pharisees. He doesn't say, understand the practical applications of the leaven of the Pharisees inherit to your life and the life of those that you love. You know what Jesus said to the disciples about the leaven? Watch out. Beware. Jesus says that our posture to spiritual arrogance is that we are to watch out for it. We are to beware for it. We're to be able to see it and to operate our lives in such a way that avoids it that is watchful for it, that is cautious of it, and and that we don't participate in that in our life. So I just want to close by that strong statement that Jesus gave. In fact, if you look in your Bible, you'll see that Jesus' response, what Jesus says to them, in some translation says, Jesus gave strict orders. Some translation says Jesus commanded them. But you get this sense that it isn't just that Jesus is going, oh, by the way, there's this thing called leaven of the Pharisees. And sometimes it's kind of a bad deal. Jesus is very passionate about this. And I want to encourage you to be passionate about it as well. Because it is against the things of God. Because it ruins your ministry. Because it it breaks your fellowship with God. And so what do we do to watch out? How do we beware of the leaven? I close with this piece of advice, this thought. Remember your salvation. Remember that it is true that you have the riches of, if you are in Christ, if you have yielded your life to the Lordship of Jesus, you have the riches of heaven. But remember when that happened. Remember that you brought nothing to that exchange except your sin and wickedness. All of the glory, all of the goodness, all of the mercy, all of the hope, all of the salvation and forgiveness, all of the restoration, all of the redemption, God brought that. You brought your sin. And if we want to fight against the tendency that we have towards spiritual arrogance, my best word to you is to daily reflect on your moment of salvation. 
Remember that it is true that you are highly favored. It is true that you are blessed. It is true that you have the riches of heaven. It is true that you have the gift of the spirit living inside of you. All of that is true, but you brought nothing to that except your sin. The rest of it was a gift. So allow the riches of heaven to cause us to be humble and joyful, not contemptuous and arrogant as we engage with the world. I want to ask you to stand to your feet this morning as we close our time. I want to give you a moment to just stand in the presence of God in prayer. So I ask you to stand and bow with me. Go before your God this morning. Oh Lord, search my heart. Seek out arrogance and pride in my life. Purge me from that, Lord. Purge that from my life. Would you pray that type of prayer this morning? Father, the incredible realization that we have when we gaze at the cross and the empty tomb is that every good thing in our life is from you. And if we have anything to boast about, it is a boast of you and your mercy and your goodness. And so, Father, we admit that we need your spirit. We need your help. We need your guiding spirit in our life to point out spiritual pride and to do that hard work of removing it from our life, Lord. We want to be effective in our ministry. We want to be pleasing to you. And we want this congregation to be a place of healing and of restoration for the broken people in this community. And we know that it is impossible to do that if we are living with spiritual arrogance and pride. And so, Lord, please protect us from that. We're so grateful for this good morning, God. All of the excitement of a kid's week and the powerful worship. And a time to pray with our brothers and sisters who are leading the way and then sitting under this strong word that you spoke to a group of disciples while they were staring at a loaf of bread. We feel the importance of it. 2,000 years later, help us, Lord, to follow you well, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.